Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years. Every other Thursday we feature just one classic story from the vaults. We ask that you keep the historical context in mind. Today, in 2021, there's a different consciousness. We've always asked storytellers to speak in as unfiltered a way as possible, and yet to tell their stories with as much compassion as possible. Even so, I'm sure the storytellers and the host might have worded some of what they said on these old episodes differently if they'd been recorded more recently. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, a story that Peter Kim first shared on the podcast in April of 2015. Here's Peter now with a story we call The Diverginator. Let's give it up for all the performers tonight. Yeah, they've been awesome. Woo. You guys ready to get a little freaky? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, I grew up in Flushing, Queens. Queens is a borough in New York City. Uh, some of you might know Flushing, Queens as the home of the New York Mets. They had the 1964 World's Fair there, and also home of comedy legend Fran Drescher. Right? Uh, but most people don't know about Flushing Queens is that it is a giant 
uh, mecca for the South Korean diaspora, especially in the 70s, 80s. Uh, so it was, a, uh, it was a place where a lot of Koreans immigrated to, and they were all... Uh, they were all congregated around the churches. That's where all the communities were built. And that's where my parents uh, immigrated to, and that's where I was born. Just to set the scene a little bit. So uh, I grew up in Flushing, Queens. And as you can imagine, like most immigrant families uh, and church, born-again Christian church families, uh, homosexuality was rarely, rarely discussed. Uh, the church said it was evil and you went to hell. One time when I asked my parents, hey, uh, mom and dad, do you know any gay people? And they were like, there are no gay people in Korea. <laughs> they were like, being gay is something despicable that only Japanese people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I grew up in that kind of open-minded household. <laughs> Uh, like most Korean immigrants, uh, they treasured machismo and masculinity in their boys. And I was just not one of those boys. All the other Korean boys that I knew took taekwondo lessons and, and played basketball. And I played the flute <laughs> and watched Shira, Princess of Power. Yeah. Yes. Right? So much more interesting than He-Man, right? So I knew I was different way from the beginning, but because of my born-again Christianity and the brainwashing, I always tried to suppress it and hide it. My first ever uh, homosexual memory was uh, when I was in fifth grade, I was at my friend Andy's house. He was a Chinese boy. I went over to his house. He opened a door for me. He was wearing uh, just like a tank top and basketball shorts. He was like, come in. And I sat down in his living room. He was like, do you want some, something to drink? And I was like, sure. And I sat down and he sat down in front of me and I saw his dick and balls pop out of his basketball shorts. And I remember there was a reverberation throughout my body. And I was like, oh my God, look at this fleshy Chinese ball sack. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I'm feeling things. And I did not know what I was feeling at that point. I don't know if I got an erection. I probably didn't. I don't remember my dick getting hard. Um, but I do remember the first time I had a gay erection was um, when I was in eighth grade. The movie Birdcage had come out. <laughs> Yeah, you guys know this, the Robin Williams movie, Rest in Peace. And I had somehow obtained a VHS bootleg copy of The Birdcage. And when my whole family was out, I would sneak and watch this like it was gay porn. And I remember my first raging hard-on when I saw the oiled-up, muscular body of Hank Azaria. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? And I remember thinking, this is not, this is, I can't do this. This isn't me. This is shameful. This is wrong. I, I would go to church every day. I, I was one of these kids that went to Wednesday night Bible study, Friday night praise night, Sunday night church. And I grew up in the church and I would spit this homophobic drivel that everyone else was spitting to make sure I distanced myself from being caught by anyone. I was living in fear for so long. 
I had continued this way until I went to high school, which was the first time I ever had an emotional connection to a boy. It was freshman Friday. I went to a high school called the Bronx High School of Science, uh, which was a specialized high school that you had to take like an SAT-like test to get in. So our school ended up being 42% Asian. <laughs> yeah. And 100% of those Asians were virgins till s throughout the entire time. So, it was Freshman Friday, and all the senior virgins, they uh, gathered all the freshman virgins together, and they were like, we're gonna fuck with these kids, and haze the shit out of them. And they were rolling us down this hill called Harris Field. And it was just the thing that happened. And I remember that day, I saw Mark. Mark was a boy, he was shorter than me, he was like five foot three, he wore a cap all the time, and he looked so poor, like even poorer than me. He was wearing some janky-ass Kmart jeans, and his ears stuck out like a chimpanzee. And I was smitten. I was like, oh my God, who is this kid? And he had a hook nose. I was like, what is going on? How do I feel so attracted to this, this boy? We instantly became friends. We were attracted to each other instantly, and we would hang out all the time. And soon we found out that we had very similar backgrounds. And, and Mikey was talking about how his dad would beat the shit out of him with a wiffle ball bat. Um, Korean immigrants are no different. They just took anything around the house and broke it over your back. And it, we both came from these very abusive, uh, broken families. It was a hard time, and we clung to each other like two buoys in a storm. And I think that's what really bonded us together was that we had these similar backgrounds, we hated our families, but we had each other. So, as you can imagine, a school full of 42% Asian guys all virgins, all grabbing their balls and you know, tongue-wanging alpha male type of guys who are not having sex. So all of that testosterone and all that energy and hormones had to go somewhere. And in my school, it went to us wrestling and grappling all the time. It was insane, that's all we did. And I fucking loved it. I loved it. And I remember when Mark and I would wrestle and grapple, I loved the feeling of our bodies locking, our legs locking, and me being able to overpower him and sometimes letting him dominate me, and it felt so good, and it was the closest I was getting to sex ever. So, uh, we were grappling the whole four years we were in high school, and uh, we would hang out with 20 other Asian virgins. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of Asians. And, uh, and it, it was weird, like we were all Christian, we were all from these immigrant families, uh, very homophobic and macho. Uh, so a lot of our like angst came out through like wearing leather jackets and having like long bangs, dyed and bleached blonde. It was a disgusting but acceptable look in the 90s. 
So this was my crew. We hung out together all the time. And a lot of what we did was we would drink at our uh, neighborhood uh, elementary school playground. We would drink 40s, right? And St. Ides wine coolers and get fucking trashed at a playground and then stumble home. And Mark and I would always stumble home back to my house, sneak in through the window. And one night, it was a cold winter night, we snuck in through my window and we got into my bed and we passed out cuddling each other. I was spooning him and it felt so right. Every crevice clicking into each other. I could feel his heartbeat through my back. And it was perfect. It was something that was indescribable. There was no logic to it. There was no labels to it. Nobody had to fucking know what was going on. It was just something we did. And both of us knew how much we loved it. So we would make excuses to go over each other's houses and cuddle all the time. And he introduced me to Peter Cetera. And yeah, and so we would spend balmy summer nights listening to Glory of Love, smoking Marlboro Lights through my barred Flushing Queens apartment window. And it was the best time of our lives. I think what we gave to each other was what we were missing from our families. I was someone safe for him. And uh, for me, he was someone that loved me unconditionally, even though we never spoke about it. So that went on uh, for a long time, and we were best friends. We were inseparable. I remember one time when we were cuddling, he turned his head back to me, and he said, hey, I could feel your balls on my ass. <laughs> and I remember hearing that and being so embarrassed that I jerked back, and I turned around, and he, after a couple of seconds, turned around and then spooned me instead. And I pulled his arm in closer, and we were just locked there. And I remember thinking, like, this is where I want to spend the... R I wish time would stop. I wish I could spend the rest of my life in his arms like this forever. So when it came to college, we both ended up going to the State University of New York at Stony Brook, which is a state school in New York and Long Island. Yeah, all right, SUNY New York. Uh, it wasn't the best school, but we were both like, who we didn't care about college. We were just like, let's just go anywhere that they would give us money and uh, they will uh, let us dorm together. So we ended up dorming together. The first week or so we were there, we met a girl named Stephanie. Now Stephanie was uh, from another uh, one of these specialized high schools, but it was in Brooklyn. She was also a broken toy as well. She came from an immigrant church background, and uh, she had a very abusive father as well, which was also the pastor of her mega church. And yeah, so it was a really fucked up situation. There was one time she told me that uh, her dad made her sit on the floor and eat dinner next to the dog while the rest of the family ate at the table and watched. And so this was the kind of like really dark, disgusting shit that like we were drawn to because we were all like, hey, we're all fucked up, let's all cling together. So the three of us clung together and we were like the three musketeers and it was the best time. And we did some like really stupid shit like uh, we would do uh, play like scavenger hunt on a Friday night because we were fucking losers and we had no other friends until Mark ended up hanging out 
with these guys that he had met through his classes, and he started smoking weed and hanging out with them, uh, and soon he started like pulling away. And I felt so hurt. I was like, why are you hanging out with these guys? Who are they? Who are you fucking cuddling? And I got <laughs> insanely jealous. And he was like, whoa, calm down. You know, we're in college. I'm just meeting new people. Uh, so I started getting very, very insanely jealous. And to the point where uh, every time he would go out, I would wait for him until he came back and give him the third degree. I was like, where were you? And he was like, this isn't what I signed up for. It got to a point where like, I was so heartbroken because I thought after spending this much time so close to each other in high school that, I don't know, maybe we would go to college and become lovers or something. But it had been four months in the first semester in college and we hadn't cuddled once. And I was like, freaking out. And I remember we would watch straight porn together and he would never jerk off. And I remember one day, we both went to sleep and I heard rustling from his bed and I knew he was pleasuring himself and all I could think was, I can help you. Please let me help you. <laughs> the next morning, he went to the showers and I went into his hamper and I looked for his underwear. He always wore these white Tommy Hilfiger briefs. And I picked it up and I saw that it was stained with cum. And I sniffed it. I was like, <sighs> and I jerked off to it. And I remember thinking like, what the fuck am I doing? But I had never come so fast and so hard. And I was like, there's something wrong with me. And this perversion started to grow and grow and grow to the point where he would take his underwear off and throw it in the hamper and immediately when he left, I would take it out of the hamper and wear it around. And this was the only way I felt that I could be close to him because he was pulling away from me so much. Now, fast forward to spring break of freshman year. This was 2001, February. Uh, me, Mark, and Stephanie were all hanging out, and Mark pulls me aside, and he goes, hey, by the way, I was talking to Stephanie, and she said she wants to have sex. And I was like, uh, no, you can't. And he goes, why? And I was like, because I'm in love with her. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, maybe you should go out with her then. You guys get along really well. And I was like, yeah, maybe I will. So I ended up asking her out. Now, what I didn't tell you about Stephanie was that when she was in high school, she had a reputation of being loose. Uh, she had a nickname that she gave to herself. <laughs> and it was called the Diverginator. <laughs> because she had diverginated five Asian boys at her school, which was more than, I guess, most Asian girls at their school. So the diverginator was trying to claim Mark, and I was like, oh, no, 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 you don't. So I went in there, and I asked her, I was like, Stephanie, I'm in love with you. Let's go out. And she was like, oh, I, oh okay, yeah, sure. So we started hanging out 
all the time and my plan backfired because Mark started to pull away more and Stephanie just wanted to have sex all the time. And I was like, keep your vagina away from me. <laughs> and I would do everything in my power to hinder her from wanting to have sex with me, including binge eating Indian food at the cafeteria and playing Disney movies on VHS nonstop, but the Divergenator could not be stopped. One day we were in my dorm room, just me and her. Mark had not come back from spring break. We came back early and we were sitting there on my bed watching The Little Mermaid. Yeah, and she started kissing my cheek and I was like, whoa, what are you doing? She was like, come on, you know, we're, we're boyfriend and girlfriend now, right? And I was like, I guess. And she started kissing my lips, which at age 18 was the first kiss I had ever had. And I was like, okay. And she started kissing me and then she started putting her hands all over my body, down my belly, and down into my sweatpants. And I was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And she was like, shh, just relax. And she pulled my sweatpants off and started blowing me. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this feels amazing. <laughs> but yet so wrong. It felt so incredibly wrong. And it was this weird feeling where like, my body was saying like, yeah, there's a wet mouth on your dick, go with it. And, I'm, and meanwhile, I'm like, where the fuck is Mark? Why isn't he back yet? Who is he cuddling? <laughs> That's what was going through my mind. And I was like, hey, let's just stop, stop, stop. I pulled her head away from my penis and I was like, hey, why don't we just watch The Little Mermaid? She was like, That's my favorite movie. I've watched it a thousand times. I don't give a fuck. And I was like, um, okay. And she starts blowing me again. And all I could hear in the background is sha la 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 la. Oh my, my boy is shy. He gonna kiss the girl. And I'm like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden she comes up to my face, whispers into my ear. She goes, hey, I want you to fuck me. And I was like, oh, okay. So she flips me around, gets me on top of her, and I'm trying to fit my penis into her vagina without touching any other part of her body. So literally, I am planking on top of her, trying to do one of these things. And, I'm, and it's my first time anywhere near any hole. So I'm like trying to figure out where it's going and she's trying to guide it. I'm like, stop touching it! <laughs> and, and I finally insert and I remember in my head there was an explosion. I was like, oh my God, this feels amazing. But it felt so incredibly wrong. So I was stumbling in and out, trying not to touch a boob and she finally gets frustrated and she goes all right turn around and she flips me around i'm on my back and she gets on top of me and she starts riding me and all i could mutter from my mouth was oh no oh no oh no 
To which she leans down into my ear and she goes, shh, don't worry. I was born without a uterus, so you could come inside me. And before I could even think of something to retort, I was busting a geyser of virginal cum all up in her barren wasteland. And just a squall of shame had started to fall from my head to my toes. I just laid there and she was still on me and she looks at me and she goes, that was fun. And she jumps off of me, my post-virginal cum still dripping from her vagina and she stamps my chest with it. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And she leans over to me and she goes, you know, they call me the diverginator. That's my finishing move. I thought I was losing my virginity, not a game of Mortal Kombat. All right, calm down. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> she then lays on my side, nuzzles her head on my shoulder and goes, do you wanna go again? And without even blinking, I said, absolutely not. And I kicked her out of my dorm room and I was like, I can't look at you right now. And she left. Everything changed. Mark had come back and I told Mark what had happened and he, all he could say was, how was it, how was it? And I was like, I, I don't think I like it. And he was like, oh, okay, that's weird. Now, two weeks later after that, I had put in an application to transfer to the University of Michigan and I had gotten in, go blue. <laughs> and I gotten in. So it was easy for me to avoid Stephanie and be like, okay, I'm not gonna go to school in here anymore. Let's just not talk and let's not see each other. And then the year ended out and Mark and I were still at this weird place and it was so painful to live in the same dorm room with the man that I loved, but I couldn't express it in any way because of my homophobia and the shame that it was still built inside of me. So I went home and I asked my mom, hey, remember your friend up in Tamiment, which is a resort up in the Catskill Mountains in New York State? And she goes, yeah, yeah what's, what's, why? And I was like, could you get me and Mark a job up there? And she was like, yeah, let's, I'll look into it. And then she got us a job and we were like, yeah, let's get out of the city for the summer. And I was like, this is my perfect scheme and plan. We're gonna be in 
up in the mountains. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to spend all summer being ranch hands, and we're going to fall in love, and it's going to be a gay erotic novel for the century. <laughs> so we drive up there, pack all our stuff. We're singing to Britney Spears. He was a big fan of Britney Spears for her body. And uh, we got up to the Catskill Mountains. We get to Tainment. We check in with the guy. And he showed us around. And he showed us to our room. And our room had one queen-size bed. And I like looked up to the heaven. I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> this is a sign. So that night, he told us, sleep early. Because you guys have to get up early in the morning. And you guys have to help with the guests and stuff. And we're like, don't worry. OK. So we end up going to sleep. And it was so hot. It was the hottest day I could ever even imagine. We were dripping sweat, all the windows open. The fan was go on full blast. And I remember we were in bed, and I was tossing and turning. And I don't know if it was because of the thousands of cicadas outside or it was because all I could think about was just getting on Mark's dick that I just could not sleep. And I was tossing and turning. Midnight turned to 1 a.m., 1 a.m. turned to 3 a.m. And I just got up and I turned over and I see that Mark has the biggest erection ever. Hit the tip of his penis poking through his boxer shorts. And I was like, this is my chance. So I made a move. I grabbed his cock, his throbbing cock. And, I, and before I grabbed it, I was like, this is going to be so hot. I'm going to grab it. He's going to look at me. He's going to be like, suck my fucking dick. <laughs> this is going to be the original Brokeback Mountain. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I grabbed it, and I, and I saw him. And he woke up, but he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't sleeping at all. He opened his eyes, and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, What? And he goes, what the fuck are you doing? I ain't like that. I'm not a fucking faggot. I was like, what? And he got up from the bed and smashed the lamp and started breaking things in the room. And I got so cold. My body got frigid. And I was like, this can't be happening. What is happening? This can't be real. And he was like, what the fuck? You cannot do that. I'm not like this. I'm not like this. And I got on my knees and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is not, uh, I'm sorry. And all I could say was, sorry, please forgive me. And he was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And I was like, please, please, Mark, don't leave me here. I, I can't stay here. And he told me, pack your shit. We're going back to New York right now. So we packed all our stuff and put it in his Camry and we drove four hours back to New York City in complete silence, smoking cigarettes after cigarettes. No Britney was playing at all. <laughs> and every time I tried to talk, he would just be like. So I just kept going in and out of sleep, going from crying to sleeping to crying to sleeping. And he finally dropped me off at home. And before I could even say bye and turn around, he sped off. After that, he refused to take my calls. And he never spoke to me again. Now, I went to the University of Michigan after that. And I was in a fucked up state for so long. I had stress dreams about this guy. 
about him, he and I becoming friends again, him forgiving me for 12 years. And it was a nightmare, literally, it was a nightmare. I didn't have sex after that for seven years. Yeah, it was, I was so traumatized and I didn't come out until nine years after that moment. So it was a rough time for me. Now 12 years passed by, I turned 30, we both turned 30, we're the same age. And we're not Facebook friends, but I kept stalking him through my friends pages. Like how is he doing, what's he doing? But he had one of these Facebook pages that was blocked. So like I couldn't see anything. So I messaged him. The day I turned 30, I was like, hey, we're both 30 years old. I'm really sorry about what happened when we were kids. I, I was confused and, 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 and you know, scared and I took advantage of you and that wasn't right. And I just, I wish you could forgive me. And there was no response. Till two weeks later, he finally responded, hey, it's all water under the bridge. I hope you're doing well. And I stopped having stress dreams that day after that. And it took me a while to figure out who I am. I'm still trying to figure out who I really am. And I hope he has figured out who he is. But I will always remember him as the boy that held me close and I felt completely safe in his arms. And you know what? You can't take that away from me. Thank you. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.